Amen. Thank you, Callie. That was beautiful. Amen. Well, it's preaching time. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to 2 Kings over in the Old Testament, chapter 6. 2 Kings, chapter number 6. I encourage you to be back this evening at 5 o'clock. Lord willing, we will pick back up with the Lord Gave the Word series. And we will be looking at the canonization of Scripture. We looked at several messages on the revelation of Scripture. Then we looked at several messages on the inspiration of Scripture. Tonight we're going to look at the canonization of Scripture. How we ended up with 66 books. There were many other letters. There were many other books. There were many other writings. But we only got 66 of them, and we're going to talk tonight about how that came about. It's fascinating. I will try to make it interesting for those of you that don't find it fascinating. I think it's fascinating. Amen. The early church had a lot of letters, a lot of writings, a lot of epistles, no doubt. The Apostle Paul, I'm sure, wrote many more than what's in the Bible. But they were able to separate the writings of man from the Word of God. And that's how we have our 66 books. It's fascinating to me. And so we'll look at that this evening at 5 o'clock service. I hope you'll be back for that message. Stand with me please. 2 Kings chapter number 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. We'll begin reading in verse number 8. The Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and the chariots of fire round about Elisha. We'll stop right there. I want to preach this morning on this simple thought. I wish you could see it. I wish you could see it. Lord, help us this morning as we look at this Old Testament story. May we be able to extract some applications and truths that would encourage and edify the people of God this morning. Be glorified, I pray. Touch me. Help me preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. In this story, it's pretty simple. If you just take it at face value and read the verses that we just read, it's a very simple story, a fascinating story. It's an amazing miracle. 
But what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to, if we can, just dig a little bit beneath the surface of this story, this Old Testament story, and see if we can't find something to help and encourage the people of God. I want to draw an application from these verses that I believe will help us because we can't see many times behind the scenes what's going on. So many of God's people have tunnel vision. You know what I mean when I say tunnel vision? We have such a limited sight. And in this story, it's what fascinated me is we've got two men standing side by side seeing two different things. We've got two men in this story that are familiar with God and the work of God and the moving of God, and yet they're not seeing the same things. And standing in the same place at the same time, seeing two completely different Realities. Can I say it? Two different realities. Elisha was looking at something and it was amazing. His servant was looking and wasn't seeing what Elisha was seeing. And Elisha began to pray in these verses and ask God if he would open the eyes in verse number 17. Open his eyes, I pray thee, that he may see. <coughs> the Bible says, and he saw. <coughs> I know this from personal experience. <coughs> There are, there, are, there are places in the ministry where, as a pastor, I wish folks could see what I see. Amen. Carol, are you okay? She's having a medical issue? Okay, we'll, we'll get you to the back. Y'all just pray for Carol. She's having some sort of a health issue right quick. Let's just, let's just pray a prayer for her, okay? She looks like she's going to be okay, but let's pray for her. Father, we ask you right now, if you would just touch Carol. Lord, she's having some kind of a health situation right now. I pray that you'd touch her, strengthen her. Pray, God, that you would undergird her and help her. Whatever she needs right now, I pray that you'd minister to her. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Pray for Carol. She looks like she's going to be okay. But let's just keep her in prayer. But let me get back to what I was saying. Many times as a pastor, I, I, I can look at the people of God. I can look at the church. And I, 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 I come to the conclusion that, that they're not seeing what I'm seeing. I come to the conclusion you can tell by the way they live. You can tell by their attitude. You can tell by their walk with God that they're missing out on some things. And, and, and I, wish, I wish there was a way. I wish there was a way. Uh, I love watching those videos. You've seen those videos where those people, they put those glasses on them that's colorblind. Y'all seen those, where they give those people those special glasses when they're colorblind and they put them on and you can just see all of a sudden many times they begin to weep because everything looks completely different. I was watching the video this past week of little babies. I'm talking little bitty things and they, the, the, they would put eyeglasses on them and the little kids couldn't see and everything was apparently blurry and the kids would be trying to pull those glasses off and they would put those glasses on those little kids and all of a sudden their eyes would get big and they would start to smile and you realize that those little children are seeing for the first time. What a blessing it is for me as a pastor when, when I see that happen with God's people. It's like God just reaches down and touches their eyes and, and all of a sudden the light comes on and they begin to see. And I'm like, hey, ain't that better than it was? And I want to sometimes, I, I, I want to just take and put some glasses on. I want to grab their head and I want to turn and say, can you see what I'm seeing? Many times they cannot. But that's what Elijah's doing in this story. He's seeing something and his servant could not see it. And he wanted him to see it. 
And he prayed for God to open his eyes that he might see it in verse number 17. That's what I want to focus on for just a little bit this morning. There's some things in this story that I wish you could see. And if you could ever see it, it'll change your walk with God. It'll change your outlook on the ministry. It'll change your outlook on the Christian life. The first thing that I want you to notice this morning that, that the servant was not able to see, but it's right here in the story. Number one, I want you to see the adversary that is defying us. This servant was looking at this army of Syrians and what he saw was different from what was actually there. Now, I want to just break this down a little bit. I've got several subpoints that I want to look at this morning and ask God if he can help put us together in our hearts. The adversary that is defying us, this king of Syria, according to verse number eight, warred against Israel. He's, he's warring against Israel. And I'm just making an application this morning, okay? Uh, the, the, the devil and the world and the evil is waging war on the people of God. We're under attack. I thought about David in 1 Samuel 17, how that he took exception when Goliath defied, the Bible says he defied the armies of the living God. He took it personal. Everybody else was afraid, but David couldn't stand and just watch this happen. Can I tell you something? The church today, the people of God, are under attack. We are being defied by the enemy, by the forces of hell. They were under attack here just like we are under attack. But there are several things that I noticed that this servant was not able to see when he saw this mighty host in verse number 13 to 14. He, he didn't see behind the scenes what was really going on. Same thing that I believe applies today. First thing that I noticed about the adversary that is defying us is this servant was not able to see the unwise counsel that this king of Syria was relying upon in verse number eight. The Bible says, then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants. <clears throat> I couldn't help but notice this contrast between the king of Syria and the king of Israel. The king of Syria is taking counsel with his servants. The king of Israel is getting counsel from the man of God who in turn is getting it from God himself. Now, I don't know if you notice this or not, but those that would come against the church and those that would come against the people of God are at a huge disadvantage for one simple fact. They're getting their counsel from the wrong place. This king of Syria is trying to figure out what's best and what he should do. So he takes counsel with his servants who has no idea. They may have had an idea, but compared to the king of Syria who had a relationship with the man of God. Is everybody still with me? The man of God had the heart and mind of God and was getting direct word from God. Can we agree? The king of Syria had an upper hand in the counseling department. Say, preacher, what is your point? My point is this. Those that come against the child of God, those that come against the church, those that are fighting against the very work of God, they put their heads together and they try to come up with some kind of scheme and some kind of plan. They try to figure something out that they can use to take the church of God off the scene that they can use to destroy the believer. But the problem is they're not getting good counsel. They got bad counsel. 
I thought about Acts chapter number nine. You don't have to turn over there, but in Acts chapter number nine, there's another story where they're taking counsel in verse number 23. The Bible says, after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill Saul. But their laying await was known of Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. They're trying to figure out some way to kill Saul. And they're counseling amongst themselves. And the best they could come up with wasn't good enough. Can I tell you something? The world is trying their best to figure out how to shut down Calvary Baptist Church. They're trying to figure out how to shut you down. They're trying to figure out how to shut down our bus ministry. They're trying to figure out how to shut down this Christian school. They hate what we're doing down here. They hate what we stand for down here. They hate what's preaching this pulpit. They hate everything that we're trying to do. And they're probably sitting in meetings and they're putting their heads together, trying to come up with some kind of plan and some kind of scheme. And they're taking counsel amongst themselves. Here's the problem. We've got the upper hand. We've got a direct line with God, amen. And we're getting our counsel from him. We're getting our counsel from the word of God. You see their unwise counsel. We've got inside information. In verse number 12, his servant said, you don't understand, king. Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. This was before they had bugs. Huh? This was before they had hidden cameras. This was before they had spyware on the iPhones. Come on, y'all. They said, they know, he knows what you're saying in your bedchamber with the door shut. The man of God is telling the king what you're saying in the privacy of your bedroom. I believe he had the upper hand, don't you? I wouldn't worry too much about the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. We got God. We got the word of God. Amen. We see his unwise counsel. Secondly, we see his unsuccessful conflicts. In verse number 9 and 10, the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that thou pass such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. So in verse number 8, they're making plans. They're taking counsel. We're going to put our armies over here. We're going to set up our camps over here in such and such a place. According to verse number 8, and the man of God would send the word to the king and say, don't go over there. Avoid that place. That's where the Syrians are camped. And the Bible says in verse number 10, and the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and watch this, saved himself there, not once nor twice, meaning many times, more than just once or twice. So preacher, what is your point? My point is this, all those times that that king of Syria was trying his best to set up camp so that he could trap, so that he could ambush the people of God, he was unsuccessful. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm gonna tell you something else right now. I don't think we will know till we get to heaven if we ever get around to asking when we get there because I imagine we're probably going to have bigger fish to fry. But when we get to heaven, only then will we know how many times the devil tried to take us out and was unsuccessful. How many traps, how many pits he dug. And God in his providence and in his sovereignty and his protection was able to guide and maneuver us around those things. The devil's trying nonstop. Nonstop. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is not once a month or once every six months or once every couple of years. It's nonstop. The devil is trying his best to take the child of God out, trying to take the church out. But can I tell you something? They've been unsuccessful many, many times. Thank God for that. Many, many times. Not once, not twice, but many times. 
As the songwriter said, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Praise God for that. His unsuccessful conflicts. We will never know till we get to heaven how many times the plans of Satan, the plans of the ungodly have been foiled. Thanks to God. We will never know how many times the enemy has come against us, but God would step in and God would intervene and God would divert and God would protect. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. They are capable of doing anything to us because of the protection and the hand of God. And somebody ought to get excited about that this morning. We see his unwise counsel. We see his unsuccessful conflicts. Thirdly, we see his unsettled condition. Look at verse number 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. You know what you and I cannot see? And this is what I'm praying. God, help us see This is what I'm asking God to help us see this morning. I wish you could see just how much turmoil the heart of the wicked is right now. Hey, they make it look like they're winning and they make it look like they got the upper hand. But I'm going to tell you something. If they're winning and if they've got the upper hand, they sure are snorting a lot of cocaine. They sure are shooting up a lot of drugs. They sure are smoking a lot of pot. They sure are drinking a lot of liquor. They sure are trying to kill themselves an awful lot. They sure are popping a lot of pills. If they don't have the upper hand, somebody explain that to me. We can't see the turmoil that they're going through. They try to make us think that we're the ones that's crazy. They try to make us think that we're the ones that, that ought to be, ought to be put, put in a hospital somewhere. And yet the, the truth of the matter is their hearts are sore troubled. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. We talked about this verse in our Sunday school class this morning. The way of the transgressor is hard. I wish you could see just how hard it is. I'm going to be honest with you. That's one reason why there's so much peer pressure against a child of God. Misery loves company. Amen. That crowd, they can't sleep at night. They're miserable. Their heart's trouble. They see you. They see the change in your life. They see how happy you are. They see the joy of the Lord in you, and they cannot for the life of them figure out how you can be so happy serving God. They cannot understand how you can have so much joy living by this book right here. They cannot understand why you would go to church three times a week. They can understand why you'd give a tenth, 15, 20% of your income to the Lord. They can't understand it. Their hearts are troubled by that. Hearts are troubled. It bothers them. Now, see, you don't know that looking at them. That's the point I'm trying to make this morning. You can't see it. I'm asking God to help you see it this morning. On the road to Damascus, all those people around Saul, I just preached about that several months ago, all those people traveling with Saul thought he had it going on. But when God spoke to him, he said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Everybody here can't see it, but you're having a hard time keeping up this front, keeping up this facade trying to make everybody think that you're happy. Why do you think all these people get on Instagram and pose in front of somebody else's Ferrari? Come on. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Grandmas using filters on their phones make them look like they're 12 years old. Get their cell phone up there and they stick their hiney out in the air and do these selfies. Grandmas. 
I don't have very many wrinkles, but I earned every one of them. Don't airbrush the wrinkles off of my face. Praise God. Pastor and Baptist, I earned every one of these things. They're trying to make their life look like they're successful, trying to make everybody think they're happy. They've got this front, this facade, but inwardly, oh, my soul, inwardly. You can't see it. I'm asking God to help you see it. Young people, I'm asking God to help you see that the way of the transgressor is hard. They're not nearly as happy as they try to make you think they are. Amen. They're miserable. Truth of the matter is they're miserable. Let me ask you a question. How happy you reckon that prodigal son was standing in that hog pen? Huh? Broke, destitute, looking at the slop, saying, I wish I could eat that. He wasn't having a good time. The world puts on a good front. They act confident. They act superior. So condescending. They're so condescending. And everything that comes out of their mouth is a straight up lie. Yes, sir. Straight up lie. I wish you could see it. Fourthly, we see his unreliable company. In verse number 11, the Bible says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants. This is the same ones he was counseling with in verse number 8. This is the same ones he's getting advice from and counsel from in verse number 8. He called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? We got a spy in this crowd. We got a Benedict Arnold in this crowd. (laughs) <laughs> which one of us <laughs> is that what he said which one of us is for the king of Israel somebody is leaking confidential information huh huh that sounds familiar don't it we got a lot of that going on today we got a whistleblower in here. Which one of y'all, which one of y'all is going to tell the king of Israel where we're going to camp? Because every time we go camp there, he goes and takes another route. How is that? Can I tell you what the truth of the matter was? He had trust issues with his own counselors. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? We're not the only ones that knows that the, the news is fake. Just let that sink in a minute. We're not the only ones that question the sources. The crowd that's quoting the sources question the sources. (laughs) They're just reading the script. Come on, y'all. You do know that, right? Those people, those pretty people with the pretty teeth and the pretty hair sitting in front of that television camera, they're reading a teleprompter. They don't have any more of a clue what's going on than you do. Some corporate office somewhere, somebody is telling them what to read. And you can believe it. And they're smiling and they're saying it. And it looks very convincing. But even they don't believe it. One of our our esteemed lawmakers was talking to one of the government officials this past week and said, Senator Kennedy, I like that guy. I like him from down south. Was it Louisiana? I like him. He says if we were to, if we were to throw all these trillions of dollars at, at, at the climate change, if we were to throw all these trillions of dollars and get rid of all this, this carbon stuff, how many degrees would it drop the temperature globally? And the guy wouldn't answer the question. 
He said, either you don't know the answer or you won't answer the question. But if we spend trillions of dollars to try and cool off this global warming, how many degrees will the, will the earth temperature come down? And he wouldn't answer. You want to know why? Because they don't believe it. You say, how do you know they don't believe it? If they believed it, they wouldn't fly everywhere in a private jet, number one. And number two, they would not be buying houses on the coast. Amen. So when the polar uh, 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 caps melt, and they're the first ones to get washed out to sea. Come on, y'all. They don't believe that mess, not for one second. And we look at them and think, man, they're, they're, they're making us feel inferior and they're so, so condescending and they're so educated and they're so powerful and they're so smart. Yeah, but they don't have a clue. and They don't trust each other either. I wish you could see that. Some of y'all believe the fake news more than the people that's up there reading the stuff. It's unreliable company. They're all liars. And they all know that they are being lied to. They know it. You got to know it. You can't be that stupid. You can't look at what's going on in America and think everything's okay. Everything that's happening is wrong. Everything that's happening is contrary to just common sense. We'd be better shaped right now to take a farmer out of West Virginia that dropped out of school in second grade that ain't got no teeth. He could run this country better than the outfit that's running it now if he's got any sense. The crowd up there, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't trust each other. They don't trust nobody. Why do we trust them? Say, where'd that come from? I have no idea. But that king is just having a meeting with his counselors, all of his servants. He said, which one of y'all, which one of y'all's against me? He's got trust issues. He's got an unreliable company. Well, I could preach on that all morning, but I got to hurry. Number two, I wish you could see not only the adversary that is defying us. But secondly, I wish you could see the anxiety that is demoralizing us. In verse number 13, they said, finally, there's only one way to figure out where he is. Go send the spy and find him. They sent a spy. They said he's in Dothan. And the Bible says in verse number 14, they sent here the horses and chariots and a great host. They came by night and compassed the city about. Verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He is absolutely terrified at this point. Can we agree on that? He's overwhelmed with fear at this, what the Bible calls a great host that has compassed the city. He sees the enemy. He sees the horses. He sees the chariots. He sees the cities completely surrounded by the Syrians. And all he could say was, alas, master, how shall we do? Absolutely paralyzed with fear. What was Elisha's response? Fear not. Right now, he said, you're so scared at what you're seeing that you can't even think straight. I wish you could see what I see. I wish, I could, I wish you could see that the anxiety and the fear that is wrecking havoc in your heart and mind right now is demoralizing you to the point where you can't even think. You can't even trust God. You can't believe God. That describes so many people today. I don't understand people that fear everything and everybody but God. I don't understand that. 
We got, we got people that are more afraid of their boss than they are of God. They will do whatever their boss tells them to do and won't question it. And won't do nothing God tells them to do. It's just to get quiet. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine in Georgia this, this past week. He said, I got a guy in my church. He said he went to work for a company. And they said, if you're going to work for us, you've got to get rid of your pet bird. It was a chicken, it was a chicken products company. We don't, want the bird, we don't want to take any chance on any kind of disease from your bird. You're bringing it to work and infecting. This is real. This is real. Okay. And so he got rid of his bird. He got rid of his bird for that right there. He, he, told, he told the preacher, he said, if I know how much money I was going to make, he said, I wouldn't even sold the bird. I'd have just shot the thing. He said, I made so much money getting rid of that bird and getting that other job. But here's the problem. Stay with me. Some of y'all are like, what in the world is he going? Here's what I'm if, if, if a church was to try to do something like that, it'd be called a cult. You can't come here if you have a bird. You think, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But my point being, the fear, are y'all getting this? They'll bend over backwards and jump through hoops for their clients or their boss. They won't do nothing God says. Full of fear. Parents won't lead their children. Men won't lead their wives. I'm afraid my wife's going to get mad at me. I'm afraid my kids are going to get mad at me. Full of fear. Church members won't tithe and give the missions. Afraid they're going to starve to death. They won't go soul winning. Afraid somebody's going to call them a bad name. They won't take a stand. Afraid somebody's going to block them or unfriend them on Facebook. They're full of fear. They fear everything and everybody but God. I wish you could see how demoralizing your fear and anxiety is. I'm, 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 I'm so amazed today at how weak Christians are. Easily intimidated. All somebody got to do is just go boo. And they, 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 they renounce everything they've ever believed. It's unreal. Preachers, afraid they're going to lose their paycheck, lose their church. Compromising their convictions and their standards. And changing everything. Afraid they're going to be ostracized. Afraid they're going to be cast out. Fear. We're talking about fear. That's what he had here, fear. What did Elisha say? Fear not. Stop being afraid. But there's a great host. There's horses. There's chariots. There's a, they've compassed the whole city. I know, but stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. What's amazing to me is how slow we are at learning. If you think that COVID was a one and done, I got a bridge up here in Baltimore I want to sell you after church. I'll give it to you cheap. That was a test drive. That was a test run. And we failed miserably. They're going to pull another one out before it's over with. They're going to pull another something another out. And, every, every, and, and we're going to find out how dumb we are when people hadn't learned the first time. Is everybody okay? Full of fear. I think some people are addicted to being afraid. They couldn't function if they weren't afraid of something or another. And that's what the media sells. The media sells that the government keeps everybody afraid. 
They, they got white people afraid of black people and black people afraid of white people. And they got rich people afraid of poor people and poor people afraid of rich people. And they got everybody afraid of everybody. Everybody's afraid of everything. I'm up to here with it. Why don't we get back to fearing God and quit fearing everything and everybody but God? Jesus said, don't fear him who's able to kill your, kill your body, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hellfire. Afraid of everything and everybody. I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. I'm afraid, I'm afraid my family's going to get mad at me. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Just fill in the blank, afraid of everything. You know what Elisha said? Fear not. Stop shaking. Stop being nervous. Stop looking at the great host. I wish you could see what I see. Right. You see the anxiety that is demoralizing us. Psalm chapter 17, verse number seven down through verse number nine. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them that put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. That's exactly what was happening right here in this story. Christians today have no idea what persecution is in America. We have no idea what persecution is. Oh, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. I'm sorry, I don't want to argue with you, but you and I don't have any idea what persecution is. Some of y'all, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is somebody unfriend you on Facebook. And some of you would just absolutely fall down on the floor and collapse in a nervous wreck if that were to happen. Oh my goodness. I wish you could see how demoralizing your fear is. It's crippling the average Christian. Incapable of doing anything for God for fear and anxiety and worry. <clears throat> I don't know if I've shared this or not. I know it's after 12, but I don't care. <clears throat> I don't know if I ever told this or not, but there was a statement that was made at a missions conference. Everybody knows about how I surrendered to go to Africa, but they don't know the backstory about how the, me and my wife went on vacation of all places we went to Charleston, South Carolina. It's a pretty place, but it's not like a vacation place, really. But we went, and we went to church that Wednesday night, because we always go to church on Wednesday night. And we found out about this missions conference down in, 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 in um, um, help me out. Well, it's down, down close to Goose Creek. And I, I said, no, we're not going to a missions conference. We're on vacation. That's what I said. We're on vacation. And they said, well, they're putting everybody up in a motel and feeding them three meals a day. I said, sounds like a vacation to me. <laughs> and we went to that missions conference on our vacation. Spent two days of our vacation sitting in the missions conference. Preacher, 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 missionary, missionary, missionary. And there was a missionary who got up, and he made a statement. And he said, well, here's what he said. He said, I'm going to tell you why young people, young couples are not surrendering to go to the mission field. They're afraid they're going to go over there and die. That's what he said. And at first, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then I thought, no, that's probably right. They don't want to leave America and go to a foreign field. They're afraid they're going to go over there and die. And I wondered, how many people miss God's will? Because of fear. I wonder how many people won't walk away from their job, their career, won't walk away from what they're trying to build. 
to do what God wants them to do because down deep inside they're full of anxiety and fear. Come on, y'all. Number three, let me give you this. I'm done. I wish you could see, thirdly, the army that is defending us. Alas, my master, verse number 15, how shall we do? Elisha said, we ain't going to do nothing. We don't need to do anything. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I'm sure right about then, that servant looked at Elisha and said, bless his heart, he must have homeschooled. He can't count. He sees this great host of of armies and horses and chariots. And the Bible says they compassed the whole city. And Elisha said, there's more with us than there is with them. And he's going, what are you talking about? Elisha said, oh, I wish you could see. Wish you could see it. Verse number 17, he prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. I underline that in my Bible. Oh my goodness. Can I tell you something this morning? They that are with us are more than they that be with them. You see, I don't see it. They're there. I wished, wished at the time, Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Acts chapter number five, the church is being persecuted. In verse number 38, if I turn over there, I'm gonna get distracted. Here's what the man said. He said, I say now unto thee, refrain from these men, let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Can I tell you the safest place we can be, church, is be right with God. Be close to God. Be up under his, the shadow of his wing. Find his heartbeat. Find God's will, God's desire. Get right up under the arm of God and pursue the will and the plan of God. And I promise you right now, there ain't anybody out there that can stop or hurt this church. Nobody. Nobody, the safest place. I preached it Wednesday night. Secret, the shadow of his wing, the best place you and I could be. Anybody that fights against the believer that's right with God and serving God, anybody that fights against the church that's doing the will of God is fighting against God and that is a losing battle for them. I want to close with this thought right here. Bible says in verse number 17, you got to see this. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And he hit me this morning like a ton of bricks. This was not the first time Elisha had seen horses and chariots of fire. He's seen that in chapter 2. Stay with me now. Are y'all still with me? Remember when he was walking and talking with Elijah and the horses and the chariots of fire came and tore them asunder. And here's what Elijah said to Elisha when he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He says, if you see it, if you see me when I go, he says, you'll get it. And the Bible says in chapter two, 
Elisha saw it. Remember that? I preached that a few years ago. Elisha saw it. Y'all remember that? And now you get to chapter number six, and he's saying, I wish you could see it. Oh, I see it. But I've seen it before. And it hit me. If you've ever seen it once, it's easier to see it the second time. Amen. And if God ever opens your eyes and lets you see it the first time, then you'll be praying for God to open up everybody else's eyes so they can see it. I thought about something else. The Bible says, look at the verse. We're still in the book. The Bible says the chariot in the mountain was full. Watch this. Of horses and chariots of fire round about who? Elisha. It doesn't say they were around the servant. It says they were around Elisha. You know what I thought of, Brother Snipes? I thought the best, the best place for you to see it is to stay real close to somebody else that can see it. Come on now. The best place for you to see the truth, the best place for you to see the reality of what God's trying to do, the best place for you to be is real close to somebody else that can see it. He happened to, Elijah happened to be in the right place at the right time in chapter two. Huh? In chapter number six, his servant happened to be in the right place at the right time. Here's your problem. Some of y'all, you're hanging around with a bunch of people that don't see it. And all you can see is what they see. And all you can hear is what they hear. And that's why you think like them. That's why you fear like them. And that's why you're missing out on the goodness of God. Best place you can do is get close to somebody that sees the truth, sees the reality of what God's trying to do. Get real close to that crowd and God might open your eyes and let you see it. Safest place for you to be is around people that see the truth, see the reality of what God's doing behind the scenes. Up to this point, two men in the same place at the same time seeing two different things. We got people sitting in this church this morning. You don't see it. You don't see it. I wish you could see it. Oh, Lord, I wish you could see it. If God ever opens your eyes and you can see it, young people, if God opens your eyes and you can see the reality of how awesome it is to go with God and let God, I'm talking about an army, an army. He says, there's more with us. There's a great host with them. We're not denying there's a great host with them. There's horses and chariots. Oh, they got the whole city cut off. Ain't no question about that. But there's more with us than there is with them. I wish you could see it. I wonder this morning with the heads bowed and eyes closed, there may be somebody sitting in this service. You've been paralyzed with fear. The devil has filled your heart and mind with fear. You, can't, you cannot do what God wants you to do. You know what God wants you to do. There's no question in your mind about what God wants you to do, but you just cannot seem to get your feet to move. All you see is the great host. All you see is the army of the Syrians. All you see is the opposition. All you see is the adversaries. But see, you don't realize there's more with us than there be with them. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason for you to allow the world and the lies of Satan penetrate your heart and mind and dictate your life Some of you is going to live out of the will of God, experiencing God's second best for your life because you simply have not learned to trust Him. 
Callie sang that song, How Appropriate, before the message. I will learn to trust him. I wonder this morning, if God is speaking to your heart, would you come? If God be for us, who can be against us? There may be somebody here this morning, you're